not altogether true. I just feel a good number of things that I'd like to talk to you about. I have been down Brother Kinsey's church this past week, and and uh, Brother Kinsey is just such a great man of God. He is a, a member of the Foreign Missions Board, has been for a good number of years. He's got an excellent church there. And I just received such great confirmation from the Lord while I was there. Brother Kinsey was faced with a very similar situation uh, several years ago. I say several years ago, about ten years ago to be exact, that uh, we're faced with now. And that's concerning the church property and the building of a new facility and such. And Brother Kinsey said we put our old building up for sale, and we couldn't sell it, and we couldn't sell it. And uh, it just seems like we would just kind of go up so high, and we'd fall back up so high and fall back. And uh, we just were very crowded. Tonight we have a good number of people absent, as you can see. But uh, he said finally we decided we'd just put up the educational facility and and meet in one of the meeting halls. And that's what they've been doing. That's exactly what I talked to you about uh, on a Thursday night several weeks ago. And, of course, they did one thing that we have not uh, planned on doing. They just simply moved out of their old building. And they do have a nice building. It's a very nice building. But they have grown since their departure from their old facility. They bought 20 acres of land right out by a freeway and a frontage road, just like we have. And it just seemed to be so similar. I just believe the Lord sent me there. And I really do feel that uh, we need to exercise our faith. I trust that you've been praying. How many of you have been praying about our building and such? You keep on praying. We're not just excited about a lot of work, but uh, I just feel that, uh, that God wants to do something. Now, we are in a financial situation here in which we just cannot afford the time just to, to go out and build. Uh, it's taken all of our money to operate on. But uh, I know that the Lord has the answer, and I've been searching for answers in several different areas. As you know, I serve also in the state of Wisconsin as superintendent of our district, and, and uh, there is just a, a tremendous workload I'm trying to uh, disperse out as, uh, as much of this work in various areas as I possibly can. And uh, certainly it is very, very important that, that all the ministers of our district become involved in the work of the Lord where possible. But there's certain things that it just seems like I have to do and I can't get out of it. And I appreciate your your patience and your your tolerance of me. Uh, tomorrow I will have to leave and go to Fond du Lac and spend the night there with Brother Aaron after ministering in a meeting and we're going up to, to the camp Tuesday. We have a new camp caretaker and we'll be going over the entire camp. We're leaving from there and we're going up to Thorpe and uh, then Spooner Wednesday night. We'll be back here Thursday night and then I'll be down in Janesville at a home mission seminar for our home missionaries Friday and Saturday and then back here Sunday morning and Sunday night. So that entails a lot of travel 
And if any of you have the idea that I like to travel, well, then uh, uh, you talk with Sister Grant. Because that's not true. I really don't. Uh, I just don't know how to, to delegate some of the responsibilities. But please be patient with me. Uh, I don't miss nearly as many services as some of you do. <laughs> so, <clears throat> and I don't miss Pentecostal services hardly at all. But uh, it is a big work, and the Lord is really moving. I think we're up to about 47 churches in the state of Wisconsin now. And we really praise God for that. We will be having a dedication of a new church up in Little Shoot by the Mike Smalls. Uh, not Smalls, but Smalls is there. And we'll be dedicating that church in June. And, of course, I will be going up and doing the dedicating. But uh, we just want you to pray for the state of Wisconsin. I'd like to see an apostolic church on every corner. Praise God. And, of course, we all recognize that the church is larger than this local assembly. But we want this assembly to affect the world, and especially our state, as much as we possibly can. Pray for a church in Platteville. We need one there. Pray for a church in Whitewater. Sister Karen O'Crowley is down there. Now we have Sue Hayden down there and, and some, a couple of other people. This would be an outstanding place for a church. Praise God. But let's pray. We need a church in Toma. And we need one in Sparta. That's in, in our uh, section. Well, we need churches there. We need a church in Walpon. We've been praying for some time. And we can get a church up in that area. We need a church in Menominee Falls right outside of, uh, of uh, Milwaukee. The Milwaukee area pastors are just crying out for young men. We need churches in Milwaukee in the area. So you can see that the need is great. The state of Wisconsin has over 4 million people. And we have 47 churches. But uh, we still believe that we can double in a decade. That by 1992, uh, we can have uh, 80 to 85 churches. I believe we can do it. <clears throat> I really believe we can do it. But of course you don't have them just by talking. You've got to pray. You've got to pour your heart in it. Uh, you've got to give it your all. Sturgeon Bay needs a church. We've been praying for a long time there. That we'd get uh, For a long time that we get a church there. Throughout the state of Wisconsin. Just... 10,000 people here, 10,000 people there, 6,000 here, 6,000 there. No apostolic churches. Now, somebody asked me uh, if I believe that, that uh, you only counted apostolic churches. You know? Well, I'll put it this way. If I did not believe that what I'm preaching and teaching is right, I would certainly join something else that's more popular and more populated See, I think most denominations are deviations. Not denominations, but deviations. 
And uh, I, I want you to just look in the Bible if you don't believe what I'm saying. That a lot of things are taken out of history, out of tradition, and such that are certainly not scriptural. We're not trying to in any way make uh, any person feel out of place if they're here and they're not apostolic. But I think it's just necessary to face up to the truth. Praise God. I say face up to the truth. I even had somebody call me one time and, and, and over the phone accuse me of believing that you had to come to Calvary Gospel Church to go to heaven. And I said, no, I've never said that. Well, do you believe it? Well, I told them, no, I really don't believe that. They say, they asked me, they said, well, just what do you believe? I said, well, while I do not believe that you have to belong to Calvary Gospel Church to go to heaven, I believe your chances are greater if you belong to Calvary Gospel Church. <laughs> Praise God. Oh, the Lord is good, isn't he? Now, what I want to talk to you about tonight, I want to just start out talking and you won't have to stand. We'll get into a bunch of scriptures here. So if when I'm finished you will say, what was that all about? And Brother Don Moran will have to go on a three-day fast just to find a title for it. <laughs> you know, that's still all right. You know, uh, one thing that I have uh, observed in the reading of the Scripture concerning the grace of God, and I think Brother Hightower did an outstanding job preaching about the grace of God, don't you? And he did such a remarkable job while he was here. And I really appreciate this great man of God. But uh, one thing that I have observed in the Scripture is that, that God, because of His grace, has made it possible for a person who has just been baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost, who has no spiritual maturity nor growth, to be rapture ready with a good number of qualities that would not be permissible in a mature person. God has made it possible for that person to go to heaven. And that's what I appreciate so much about the Lord. God can reach down and fill somebody with the Holy Ghost and maybe they have all kinds of of uh, Situations in their life in which they don't have understanding in, and perhaps uh, you know later on they quickly abandon those things. But they're baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, and even with those things, there God has made it possible for them to go to heaven. So I'm kind of laying a foundation for all the things that I want to talk about here tonight. You know, we take a person and we baptize them and, and we see them filled with the Holy Ghost and it says, Oh, now if the rapture took place, you'd be ready to go tonight. And there's great consolation in that. But some of us, deep down in our heart, because we see them wearing certain things that they ought not wear, using certain words that they ought not use, and such, we say, No, they're not rapture ready. See? 
But God has made it possible that even with those particular faults, that they can be rapture ready. Now, if, if and when they come to a knowledge uh, that those things are, are not necessary and they shouldn't have them, well, naturally they, they walk in the light. And when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He shall guide you, lead you, direct you into all truth. They lay those things aside. Uh, I have had some people, this congregation, to come up to me and use language in which I would would never use. You know, one uh, one man told me said, "You know, I was just recently preaching at Brother So and So's church, and uh, there was a man there that we prayed through the Holy Ghost, and this man was a real, real rough." character. Now, he said, uh, the reason why he was telling me this is because we were going over to his place and we were going to talk to him and he wanted me to mention it to him. Just kind of as a joke, see. But he said, this man came up to me and uh, this tough guy and oh, he was so full of the Holy Ghost and everything, but he didn't know much. He'd just been filled with the Holy Ghost. And he came up and and he said, you really preached a blank good message tonight. And he said, I almost died. <laughs> and uh, now, please understand that, that I am not trying to misuse the grace of God. See, since then, the man has found out that he's not supposed to talk like that, that that's not right. And he's felt so badly about it till he's tried his best to make restitution. But, you know, people are filled with the Holy Ghost and they really want to do everything that mature Christians do. And they want to use the language and everything of mature Christians. And they want to use the language of the Bible, but some of it doesn't come so easy. For some people, they struggle and uh, they do everything within their power to be as ideal as they can. Now, it's necessary to do that because you'll never reach a place of spiritual maturity if you don't. But I'm not really for sure how much in the line of weakness or weaknesses that God overlooks and how much He tolerates. But I still believe that God has made it possible for an immature babe in Christ to make it to heaven because of His grace. That doesn't mean that we should ignore and overlook weaknesses and faults and failures of people. I think that the ministry that God has placed in the church is for the perfecting of the saints. That simply means none of us were perfect when we were born. And you know, children are not perfect when they're born in the world. You know, you look at a child and you say, oh, he's got five fingers and five toes. He's got two arms and two legs. He's perfect. Perfect child. Well, he's perfect as a child, but he's not a perfect human being. He grows into perfection. 
as sweet as I think Lana is, and as cute as I think she is, I hope that when she gets to be 15 and 16, she has changed proportionally. Otherwise, her head is as big as her stomach. Babes are that way. And if she doesn't change and she gets to be five foot tall, she'll probably weigh 600 pounds. Because she is just about one third as wide as she is tall. Now, don't nobody look at me, okay? <laughs> but uh, this is what happens to us when we come to the Lord. Now, God has made it possible because of His grace for a man to be baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost and then perhaps be killed in a car accident on his way home. And that person rests at peace with the Lord. Now, I really believe that. But I also believe that if in the event God comes and convicts you of something that you're doing wrong and you won't listen and you won't listen to preaching and teaching and your spirit's not teachable, then... That's another story altogether. See? It's another story altogether. And I preach a message on this, and I teach this in our Christian stewardship classes. But what makes a difference to God is not so much the spiritual level that you are on, but the direction that you are traveling. See? So you may have been filled with the Holy Ghost ten years ago. You may be way up here. And maybe somebody filled with the Holy Ghost. They're on the bottom rung of the ladder. They were filled last Sunday night. And the trumpet of the Lord could sound. And God has so made it because of His grace that this person whose convictions are not nearly as great and the level of spiritual maturity is not present, that that person who's on the bottom rung can go up and even perhaps the one who's way up above might not make it. Because he is digressing instead of progressing. He is going backwards. That's called in the Bible backsliding. Now backsliding simply means sliding backwards. Downward. And if you will notice in the scripture... There are many, many examples of this, but the example that I'd like to call your attention to is an example of Jonah, who was a, evidently a great man. He was a prophet. I'll tell you something about Jonah. Jonah was so persuasive in his preaching and in his prophesying that when the Lord really worked him over good and he said, Yes, Lord, I'll go to Nineveh, he caused the whole city to repent. But I can assure you of one thing, that when Jonah wasn't willing to do what God wanted him to do, friend, he would have died in the belly of a whale if God had not have heard his cry. 
But you see, even when we make mistakes, and I talked to our youth class this morning about this. I don't know why lately I've been thinking about it. It's been on my mind so strongly now for a couple of weeks. But even when we make mistakes, we can go back to God and say, God, would you forgive me? God, would you hear me? God, I don't want to be the way I am. Would you genuinely talk to me? And God will hear. And he will come to your rescue. And that's what happened to Jonah. But you notice what happened to Jonah when he said no. And before he began to pray. And before he began to seek the Lord. The Bible says that Jonah heard the voice of God. He said no. And from there he started his downward journey. He went down to Joppa. And if you will notice in Jonah 1, every preposition that denotes the position of Jonah is down. He went down to Joppa. He went down to the seaside. He went down to the sea then, after he purchased his ticket. He went down to the boat. And he got on the boat and he went down in the bottom of the boat. He was brought up from the bottom momentarily to be judged. And then he was cast out and down into the sea. A whale came and swallowed him, and he went down into the belly of the whale. And then the whale went down to the bottom. Now that's the way it reads throughout the book of Jonah, concerning Jonah's backsliding. And you know, that's what happens when you say no to the Lord. It's down all the way. And it's not going to get any better until you say, yes, Lord. But all of a sudden, Jonah realized, wait a minute. Look where I am. I'm going to die down here. And he would have died. He would have died. I think one of the most horrible movies that I've ever seen in my world, in my life rather, was a movie on abortion. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, some of these movies, but I made up my mind after I saw abortion, this uh, uh, this movie on an abortion that that uh, you know this has got to be the the most hideous, ridiculous thing. Uh, when God looks down upon the scene, where innocent lives are being murdered, you know. I wonder how he can tolerate it. But did you know that late in the gestation period of a woman, if she desires an abortion, uh, the doctors would take needles. Now, some of you here work at the hospital. Some of you may be acquainted with this. But they take needles and they push through the stomach into the womb where the baby is. And they pump into that mother acids that are similar to the acids of your stomach 
And it is designed to start dissolving this child just like food is digested in your stomach. And it kills the child naturally right away. And then, of course, the mother is able to abort the child uh, easier. Now, can you feature Jonah in the belly of the whale when all of those gastric juices and acids started working on him? Now, you think about it for a moment. I didn't tell you this was going to be a beautiful message. And sometimes we wonder when we're having so many problems, what in the world is chewing on me? See, we blame the devil for everything. Did you know that sometimes it's not the devil, it's God that's after our hide? Because we don't know how to say yes to the Holy Ghost. And you know what would have happened to Jonah had he not have repented? Now you know what happens. Have you ever gone fishing and you caught a good sized fish and you brought it home and when you dressed that fish while you were scaling it out of his mouth came a small minnow? Now, some of you girls who are sissies indeed <clears throat> wouldn't know what this is all about. Now, Scott Fuller is a fisherman first class. And you've seen this, haven't you, Scott? And you can identify the small fish, but right away you know that that large fish or that fish's stomach is doing a number for sure on that small fish. He has no way of surviving when he has been entrapped in the stomach of that larger fish. Scales, bones, and everything are eaten by the gastric juices and digestive process of that fish. And what happens sometimes when we say no to the Lord? A whale of a situation <clears throat> gets its mouth a hold of us. And every time we turn around, we feel like something's breathing. Down our collar. <clears throat> you know? Every message that's preached is for us for sure. For the preacher and everybody else has our number. See? And many times it's just a matter of we're, we're just saying, God, I don't really think I want to do that. I don't really think that I am ready for this or that or the other? Oh, let me tell you something. I believe that God is calling all of His children to a place of maturity where He can really use them. 
God wants to use these young people throughout this congregation. Some of them are having a lot of problems. Well, you're going to keep having those problems until you say yes to the Lord. I'm not calling you to preach. I don't think that you should even consider preaching until you have been successful as a Christian. Amen? You've got to be a successful Christian before you start telling other people how to be successful in your Christian life. Genesis 21, verse 9, there is a passage of Scripture that uh, I'd like to just call your attention to because it, it seems to be a passage that furthers the direction that I want to go in. Genesis 21, 9, And Sarah saw the son Hagar, the Egyptian, saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne to Abraham, mocking. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad, and because of thy bondwoman, in all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And also the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation, because he is thy seed. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child and sent her away and she departed and wandered, wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water was spent in the bottle, and she cast the child under one of the shrubs. And she went and set her down against, over against him a good way off, as it were a bowshot. For she said, let, not, let me not see the death, of the child. And she sat over against him and lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad, and the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said unto her, What aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not, for the Lord hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him in thine hand. For I will make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad drink. I want to stop there. Because this is a, a, a very, very sad story. But nevertheless, it, it's still a story that I think is, is, is quite uh, indicative of the nature of God, you will find that, that God is a God of extreme concern and compassion and mercy. And I think that this story certainly tells the story of the nature of God. Uh, 
in the reading of this, if you don't know anything about the story, you picked up enough to determine that God hears and answers prayer. Now, Ishmael, the, the, the son, was born. And there is, there is just no, no question about it. It was not God's will that Abraham bring forth a child by Hagar. But you will find that once certain things have occurred, that there is a switching or changing of the mind of God relative to that situation. A typical example would be an incompatible marriage. I am growing stronger and stronger and stronger in my convictions concerning incompatible marriages. Why? Because I am seeing so many people living in misery and hearing of so many people living in misery. Because they marry someone they can't get along with. Now please, if you come to me for marriage counseling, or counseling concerning marriage, please take my advice. Otherwise, save your time and my time by staying out of my office. Because what happens if you make a mistake after you've told, been told that you shouldn't make a mistake, then that very incident will bring a lot of heartache within itself. I was told not to do this. I did it anyway. And now I'm getting what I deserve. Now that gnaws away at people. Of course, I think the proper thing is to come in and seek counseling and then listen to what somebody's trying to tell you. It's a very, very important thing. But you see, if you are the best ideal Christian man in the world and you marry the worst old hag. Now, I'm exaggerating. We don't have any hags. But if you did, once you are married, it is God's will that you stay together and you work out your problems. It might not have been God's will to start with that you marry, but once you're married, you become one flesh, and God wants you to put everything under the blood. He wants you to forget about the past, and He wants you to make that marriage work. And it was not God's will that uh, Hagar have a child by Abraham. But once the child was born, God, being a God of love and a God of mercy, was bound to bless the child because he had promised Abraham that he would bless his seed. 
And God was not going to abandon his promise. He had made a vow to Abraham, and even though he would not accept the fact that Ishmael was to be the promised son, he was still going to bless him. And he was going to hear his cries. And he was going to come to his rescue. Now, even in a situation that some people could have designed as being very cruel and murderous in nature. What happened was, and we read it, but uh, a water bottle was filled and the child was thrust in the arms of the mother and, and the mother was told, get out of here. Where are we going? Well, I mean, where could you go in the country they were in? How could you possibly survive a mother with a young child? How in the world could they possibly live? Well, she took the child, went out in the desert, and uh, after a while all the water was gone, and she said, uh, wait a minute, we're, we're going to be in trouble here. And so as a result, uh, uh, she decided that the best thing for her to do would be to just take the child and put the child over by a tree, and she would go about a bow shot away and sit down where she couldn't hear the cry of the child. And uh, she would not experience the emotional distress uh, that would come as a result of his slow death. I mean, this boy was going to starve and die of thirst. Now, <clears throat> I have never been thirsty for a long period of time. I've always been able to have water nearby, even when I'm preaching. And it always is so refreshing. But uh, to be in a very hot place where you are perspiring, losing your moisture, body moisture, dehydrating, uh, and know that there's no water around, none around, I meant, uh, what would you do? What would you do? Just the, the, the emotion, the stress on that mother. I've got to leave this child here. This child's going to die. But you know what happened? The child began to cry. And the child cried and cried and cried. The Bible says the Lord heard the cry of the child. You know, I want to stop there just for a moment. Sometimes we think God doesn't really hear, and He doesn't understand, and He does not know what we're involved in. Yes, He does. Now, I'm a firm believer that God sees all of life, not just the life of, uh, of people. Uh, it's really amazing but uh, you think of everything in this planet that has life in it. Dandelions, grass blades, trees, flowers. 
You think of all the worms. Well, I was out digging in the yard yesterday. You talking about worms? I just knew it was a sure sign I was supposed to go fishing. When I, when I dug up some worms, but I, I just couldn't work it in. The, but you couldn't believe. You absolutely, and all the bugs and the ants. And I went out and hit an old dead stump and all the ants. Do you believe that God's concerned about those ants? Well, now the Bible says that God sees every sparrow that flies over. And when one plummets to the ground, God knows where he is. And sees him. The Bible says that God calculates and sees things with such accuracy that he can determine the number of the hairs of your head. Now, he wouldn't have to count very far on some of you. But if you had a head full of hair like Brother Felix... This would challenge you indeed. (laughs) But God knows. I mean, He keeps track of all of it. One of the greatest reasons why that you need to read your Bible is to build up faith. You need to read it for more reasons than just to have a knowledge of certain things. But faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. You need to take your Bible, and you need to read it. And you need to learn of the nature of God Himself. God heard the cry of that lad. Now I want to talk just for a little while here about thirsting, and I want to talk about hunger. Now, none of us know what it's like. To hunger. Now, when I say hunger, I'm speaking of of thirsting and and uh, hungering like the Bible speaks of it. If you turn with me to Matthew five, Jesus speaks of this in Matthew five verse six. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. For they shall be filled. Now, as far as I can see, this condition that's spoken of is a condition of an individual who is dying. Your life is depending on something to enter into your system. It's more than just casual eating and casual drinking. You've got to have it. If you don't have it, you won't survive. And, of course, this scripture is used quite often when a person makes their first approach to God. You remember when you came to God? Listen, I wanted God more than I wanted life. I don't know about you, but I, I reach a point where I realize I have to have God. I cannot survive without God. I need God. I felt that I was actually dying inside. Dying inside. Now you take people who are starving. 
and they get a hold of the wrong kinds of food, did you know that it'll kill them quickly? Uh, I've seen pictures of uh, foreign countries. You know, in some of these foreign countries, they eat some very different things. We had a brother here who was going to uh, the Philippines, and they talked about eating dogs. It's hard for me sometimes to eat a hot dog. Because I don't know what they put in it. (laughs) And here they're eating all kinds of dogs. They really do. Now this is going to sound gross, but follow me, okay? You know, I had a good friend of mine that told me that he was guarding an airport in Korea during World War, not World War II, but during the Korean War. And he shot a dog, and that dog lay out there a couple of days. And there was a civilian, Korean, that asked if he could have that dog. And he took and drugged that dog off and told me later he ate that dog. He said it wasn't all good, but part of it was still good. Don't eat it. You have a weak stomach? Some of you do. See? But you see, the reason why that this boy didn't know any different because his culture, uh, they do that. They eat dogs all the time. The Chinese are great for eating cats. Somebody told me Brother Richard talked about cats, did he? Oh, did he gross you out? But uh, I, I'm not interested in eating a cat. I'm just not interested in eating. Brother Cisco went to, to West Africa and he told me, of course this is not so bad, but he told me, he said, Brother Grant, he said, uh, Brother Garrison told me, he said, now we're taking you back into the interior to a small village. We've got a good strong church back there. And the pastor of this church will insist on you eating. Now, he's going to feed you chicken because that's all he ever eats. But he said, when he cooks that chicken and when he gives it to you, it'll be a whole chicken, but he said it'll be small. You eat it. And Brother Cisco says, wow. First place, he said, Brother Garrison had already told me it wasn't edible, <laughs> the way he told it. Because they don't take great pains in dressing the chicken. And he said, the whole family was around the table, and they just watched me while I eat. Well, he said, you know, I couldn't hide any of it. I couldn't throw it away. They were all watching me. But he said, when I finish, the pastor says, are you finished now, Brother Cisco? And I said, yes, and I do appreciate so very much. You know what he did? He said he took that chicken and tore those bones apart and handed them to the children. And those children sat there and ate those bones. Brother Cisco said, I felt so terrible. He said, I would have gladly given up my chicken, especially after Brother Garrison said what he did about it. But those kids ate that and said that pastor took that leg and uh, strong bone and he chomped down on that and he chewed that thing up and swallowed it. Eating that bone. Well, Brother Garrison said, don't they do that all the time. Said, when they kill a wild animal, they'll take and roast that thing and they eat bones. I mean, they eat the bones. Well, I've seen a few people here in the States eating from a garbage can. 
And it's just hard to believe that some people get in such bad condition. Such a bad condition that they would eat from a garbage can. You may say, Brother Grant, get off of this. I'm going to stay on it a little while longer because I have a reason. But can you feature digging through all kinds of terrible things and getting something out of a garbage can? Can you feature that? Wow, digging past all that and grabbing something out of a garbage can and eating that. Now, you may say, what is the purpose of all of this that you're talking about? We're talking about people who are dying of hunger. You see, you can actually eat and still die of malnutrition. It all depends on what you eat. Now, some of that stuff that we've talked about, you and I would never think about it. Why? Because you see, we weren't brought up on that kind of food. We don't even care for that kind of food. In some countries, they eat chocolate-covered ants. It's a delicacy. The rarest thing that I've ever eaten was an octopus. Somebody invited us over, and they had, they had Japanese food, and they served these rubber bands, and I started eating them. <laughs> they taste just like a rubber band. You know, when you're a kid, you chew on rubber bands. It, it was just like a rubber band. I chewed around on that thing for a long time. I found out I was supposed to swallow it. They told me it was an octopus. Now that's a that's a rare thing indeed. But uh, in, in Japan they eat they eat them all the time. And of course it was wrapped in seaweed, and the seaweed was not the best. But. But that's the kind of diet that they have there. See? That's the kind of diet. And you see, if you are accustomed to eating things, you develop a particular appetite for those things. And you, uh, you get where you like it. There are certain things that, that uh, you must, you have to develop an appetite for it. I know. Now, one thing that they that they drink here in the States, and that, that's beer, I know you have to develop an appetite for it because there's no way that anybody would like it without developing an appetite for it. See? And uh, I was in a place of business not long ago, had my two sons with me, and, and of course we had uh, uh, worked out, and it was in a gym, we'd worked out real hard, and, and so, man, I was tired, I was beat, and so when uh, I went to pay for the use of the gym, the, uh, the lady says, Well, now you can go out and have a few beers. I said, Not me. I said, I don't drink. You don't? No. Oh, well, that's kind of rare. I said, In fact, in all of my life, I've never tasted of uh, beer. She said, is that true? I said, yes. She said, well, you know, you're very fortunate. You know, I've told that to several people, and I have not yet told that to a person that didn't say, you should be glad. You're very fortunate. But they don't tell me that. 
Now, you're very, very fortunate. And I'm, I can tell you, I ha- I've never tasted a beer. I don't have any idea. I know what it smells like. And it smells terrible. <laughs> see? But you see, here's the situation. For people who drink the stuff, they develop an appetite for it. They like it. They like it. And the people who go around digging things out of garbage cans while we're feeling sorry for them, they think, man, look what I found in the midst of this. This is fine. This is delectable indeed. See? See? And people who feed their soul on sin do not understand that they are starving. They are killing the inner man. He cannot be healthy eating the things that he's eating. I'm talking about from, from a spiritual sense now. I turn this to, a, to make a spiritual application. You see, the devil likes to feed you with all kinds of sin. Now, while we eat food, our natural body grows. There is an inner man that lives inside of this robe of flesh, the soul, and the spirit of man that have to be nurtured. They have to be taken care of. This is the reason why that sin is so appetizing. It's because that a lot of people not knowing God and when their soul begins to thirst and hunger, they look for things that will bring satisfaction. They go out looking for things and they want this and they want that and they want this and they want that. But once they eat them, it's not fulfilling. It doesn't do the job on the inner man. This is the reason why that you cannot control sin. Why? Because it's not fulfilling. Now, if you're eating out of garbage cans, physically speaking, and you go to the doctor, and you tell the doctor that you're sick, i got stomach problems all the time. He'll say, what have you been eating? Well, I'm not for sure what it was, but it was the best thing in that can. I'm not for sure what it was, but it was the best thing I could find. Now, he'll treat you and probably give you some, some antibiotics or something to kill the, the uh, infection and poison and such in your system. But it's not going to do any good if you go back and eat out of the can again. It won't do you one ounce of good. You might as well save your time and money and don't even go to the doctor. You see, some people run into church every now and then and they, they get a little advice from the great physician and a little, little bit of the Holy Ghost injected in their system to kill off the poisons for a while. But if they're going back out into the world of sin and they're eating out of the garbage pots and, and such of the world, well, they will not be happy. They will not be healthy. It will not be fulfilling. And they will literally kill the inner man. Now, when the inner man is killed, 
And there's no voice inside that cries out the condition then as far as scriptural vernacular is concerned. It's called reprobate. You die inside. So there's just a hull. There's just a a fleshly form. And you meet a lot of people. Now a lot of people you think could not be reached with the gospel and you say, oh, reprobate. Well, they might be, but they might not be. Because there are a lot of sick people inside that once they are given the right medication, spiritually speaking, you can heal that condition. And you can nourish them back to life. See? Now, I believe in the deliverance of the Holy Ghost. But I believe according to the Scripture, there are two ways in which people are healed. If you will notice in the spiritual gifts that were mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul speaks of the gift of miracles and the gift of healing. He also speaks of the gift of faith. Now, faith, the gift of faith is usually applied on conditions that are external, outside of human lives. We want to build a building on our property. We feel we should. Let's pray the prayer of faith. Let's exercise the spiritual gift of faith. But two people come up to the altar, and both of them are sick. We lay hands upon one and pray for one, and that person is miraculously delivered. That's the gift of miracles. Another one comes up and we lay hands upon that person. We pray for that person. That person walks away knowing that we and knowing that they have gone through the same channels of the other person that was miraculously healed, walks away still sick. However, before the service is over, they're feeling better already. And by the time they go to bed at night, they feel twice as good. When they get up the next morning, they're feeling much, much better. And before they go to work, it's gone altogether. Now, you may say, well, Brother Grant, I didn't know that God worked progressively in people. Yes, He does at times. Now, if He doesn't do that, you wouldn't need the two spiritual gifts. It would just be miracles all the way. You may say, but I like the miracle healing. Well, all of us would. But it doesn't come that way in every case. If you will notice, when Jesus gave the great commission, he said, they shall lay hands upon the sick and they shall recover. Now the word recover is used there. And as far as I can find out in checking it out, In the original language, that's exactly what it means. It simply means that they recover. Their healing is not an instant healing. But they do recover. And regardless of how the Holy Spirit works on us, we want to accept it as the gift of God and that it has divine purpose in our lives.
Now, from a spiritual sense, this is also true. You'll have two people who come down to the altar. One man is wrapped up in the drug culture. He is starving the inner man. The inner man is addicted and, and, uh, and the flesh is addicted and he's got all kinds of problems. Another man with a similar situation comes to the altar. We lay hands upon one man He repents of his sins. He lifts his hands. He's filled with the Holy Ghost. We baptize him in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He walks away and he never has one problem with drugs. And we just shout the victory. Praise God. He's delivered. Miraculously delivered. But do you know what? It doesn't happen that way with every person. There are some people who are delivered instantly from alcohol. And some people, it doesn't happen that way. There are some people who go through withdrawals and they have, they have all kinds of problems with it. You follow what I'm saying? And, and it's necessary for us to understand that naturally we'd all like to have that instantaneous healing, that touch, that deliverance. But basically speaking, what you are feeding your inner man on all time, he becomes addicted to it. He likes it. You can switch him over to something that's good, like the Holy Ghost, instead of the the spirit of, of particular sins. I think there's a spirit involved in alcohol. I think there's a spirit involved in cigarette smoking. I think there's a spirit involved in sexual sins. I think there are demons that represent these particular things. And you see, you can switch the man over when he realizes that the advice of the great physician is the right advice. And you can switch him over, turn him around, put him on God. But because he has not developed an appetite for God... And he hasn't yet broken that appetite for what he's on. Sometimes it's cold withdrawal. It really is. Now that's important for you to understand. Because some people, because they, they, let's say they're smoking cigarettes, they get the Holy Ghost. They vowed to God they wouldn't smoke anymore. But the next day, oh my, I smoked again. I might as well give up. And so they just, oh. Now the best thing for you to do. If this is the problem that you have, is just confess it. Confess it to as many people. I still smoke. I don't want to smoke. I want to give this thing up. And you need to get a bunch of people praying and binding together. And you know what you need to do? You need to break that inner man that's crying out for that. And, and that robe of flesh that, that, has, that is addicted to it from a physical sense. You need to break that habit from him. And feast him on the good things of the Lord and get him acquainted with the Spirit, the right Spirit, the Holy Ghost. Uh, Psalms 34, verse 8, the Bible says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. But you see, every time people taste, they don't like God. You see, it's like the table of showbread. If you remember in the tabernacle, you who have taught search for truth, and you who have not, in the, in the tabernacle, Let's, let's suppose that this cross and, or this opening up here is where the, the, the veil is. Now right in front of the veil, there's an altar of incense. 
On this side over here, there's a golden candlestick having seven golden candles. On this side over here, there's a table of showbread. Now, do you know what they did with those 12 loaves of bread? They sprinkled incense on those. And the thing about it is, when you pick those up, the priests were to eat that bread every day. And that incense that was sprinkled on this was very powerful and strong on the outside. And when you picked it up and you took a bite out of it, friend, it was bitter. But when he kept eating and he got into the bread, down past the crust, it became sweet. It became good. And it's that same way when you taste the Word of God. When you first start tasting the Word of God, there are things in that Bible that are bitter. There are things in that Bible, and whenever I eat of it, the inner man says, Oh, no! I don't want this. I don't desire this. But I say, you're going to develop an appetite for it. You see, you have been born anew, afresh. We're going to get you accustomed to some different type spirits now. Praise God. That's what you've got to be tough on yourself. Well, God is a merciful God, and if you make a mistake, He will forgive you. But you've got to just sit down and talk to yourself and say, Hey, wait a minute. Now, we're going to do what the Bible tells us to do. Jesus in John 4, he told the woman at the well, you drink of this water, he said, you will thirst again. But I have water that you can drink of and never thirst. Now that simply means that God's spirit is fulfilling. And once you have been filled with it, you won't be starving anymore. Well, you may go back and eat. That wasn't what he was saying. You may, go, you may drink. But what he's saying is, that the condition has changed now. You're not eating because you're starving. It's not mere survival. You develop an appetite. You like it. See? Now you look at a guy my size, and you know good and well that I eat every day when I'm not fasting. But you also know that I don't eat because I'm starving. You know? You notice, John, how he he perked up when Patty got the basket? Well, see, when I went down there and sat down, I said, what's in that basket? And Patty assured me that there were 12 blueberry cupcakes in there. But when I looked in there, there's only 10 in there. And and I am just wondering what happened to the other two. Do you have any idea what happened to those two? (laughs) Now, we're about to have just an old-fashioned confession service here. Now, do you believe that this man sneaked in that basket? Oh, he didn't eat it. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't you. Man, now who got those cupcakes? Do you have any idea, John, what happened to those cupcakes? 
It's a, there's something. <laughs> now, do you believe that John is eating because he's starving? No. Why did he eat the cupcakes? You see, he has developed an appetite. Something says, oh, come on, eat me. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a cupcake, I need to be eaten. You see, that's what the Holy Spirit says. That's what Jesus said, except ye eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. Ye have no part with me. And the Lord is saying in spiritual form, eat me, taste me, I'm good. I will fulfill you. I will satisfy you. If you eat me, you won't starve. Praise God, praise God. Take a hold of me. Consume me. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God. No wonder John wanted that basket. He knew if he didn't get it tonight, there probably wouldn't be any cupcakes in it tomorrow. (laughs) Praise God. And you know what? I'll tell you, I've been eating on the Holy Ghost for a long time. It is fulfilling. It has satisfied me. Praise God. We want you to stand right now. Oh, let me tell you. If you have been flirting around with the world, leave the garbage cans alone. Praise God. The great physician may touch you on Sunday night, but if you go back to the garbage can, you know what's going to happen? You're going to be infested again with some type of food poisoning. Praise God. But feed that soul that's dying on spiritual things. Fellowship with brothers and sisters. The Word of God, the Holy Ghost that runs throughout the service. Feed your soul on it. Taste of it. It's good. The Spirit of the Lord is delicious. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, praise God, praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. God, oh God, oh God. Oh God. But we are indeed in the church. The God of heaven has promised, just as he promised Abraham that he would bless his seed. He's going to bless the church. When you are filled with the Holy Ghost, you become an heir to Abraham's inheritance. That's what the Bible says. And if you've been wasting away and crying out in a barren land someplace, cry out to the Lord. For a desert altar will find a listener. Praise God. God hears you. He sees you. He's not going to let his own seed die. 
Praise God. Just look around. There's a well flowing. Right where you think that there is starvation and such. Right where you think that you will thirst to death. There's a well that's flowing. And this river of life that's flowing is what you need. It will sustain you. Praise God. Oh, the Holy Spirit right now wants to minister to you. Would you, right where you are, say yes to God? Would you do that? Yes, Lord. I accept your spirit tonight. It may taste bitter, but it's designed to satisfy. On both sides right here, this pulpit, there's a place to kneel and pray. Would you step right out and come and give your heart to the Lord? Would you? Come on right now. People are praying already right here. Somebody else needs to come. Come on, would you right now? Come on and give your heart to the Lord. If for some reason you just haven't been as spiritual lately as you'd like to be, perhaps you'd like to kneel right by your pew and call upon His name. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. All right, everybody find somebody then to pray with unless you're praying specifically for yourself and to yourself. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. But people are praying all over. Let's reach out. Let's get a hold of the Lord tonight. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God.